0: Welcome to Plant Network Podcast, where we talk to horticulturists about their gardens and their careers. Today I'm speaking with Jess Brown, who is a gardener at the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland's Edinburgh Zoo. And Jess is also on the steering group of the Biazza Plant Working Group, and that's the British and Irish Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So thank you for joining me today, Jess.
1: Hi there. So can
0: you tell us a little about your role at Edinburgh Zoo?
1: Our zoo has got, the gardens department is divided into three different teams. So we have the parks team, who looks after all the the public areas. Uh, We have the nursery team who look after the glass houses and all the indoor planted areas. And then we have the enclosure team, which is where I work, who look after all the animal enclosures, basically. We're responsible for all the regular maintenance of the enclosures. And that can be, you know, strumming, pruning, weeding, cleaning leaves. And obviously the maintenance will vary with the the seasons as it would be with with any gardens. We also design and implement the planting in new enclosures or redeveloped enclosures when perhaps an animal moves, is moved to a different enclosure. So we will be given a brief and a budget and we get to have lots of fun with putting things together. And some of the enclosures that we work in, we can obviously work in whilst the animals are, are still in there such as flamingos and the gorals and the wallabies and kangaroos, et cetera. But many of the animals are obviously required to be locked in, such as the chimps, the lions, the tigers, and et cetera. We have a very, very good working relationship with the keepers. Obviously, we have to, because pretty much have to put our lives in their hand, we have to make sure that their safety procedures are followed in order for us to be safe for us to go into the enclosures to work. But we have about 70 enclosures that we look after. Do,
0: do you have a particular, and this is probably putting you on the spot a, l- a little bit, but do you have a particular favourite enclosure that you, when it comes around to its, you know, its regular maintenance, you go, yes, that's
1: really good? It depends on the time of the year. Because if we have a few enclosures that are, you know, very heavily planted with trees. So obviously when you come into autumn, you could be taking 25 tonne bags of leaves out of that enclosure. And you could be dragging those bags up a hill to get to where they The gate to the enclosure is so at times like that you're probably going to be uh, cursing under your breath rather than going yes but then in the summer it might be a really pleasant enclosure to work in and if it's an enclosure perhaps where the animals are out with us it is always great I mean it's it's amazing how used to us the animals are we can strim, we can use leaf blowers. And I mean, some, some of the animals obviously don't like the noise and we have to be a bit more cautious, but, uh, but quite a few of the animals are are just not bothered at all and they'll, they'll come right up to you. So you have this amazing experience whilst you're doing your day job. And what I would say is, I mean, this this job is, in, in terms of horticultural uh, roles, is incredibly niche. Not all the other zoos do have specific teams for the enclosures. In some of the zoos, the keepers will do a lot of the work under guidance of their gardens department. It can be quite different as well, because if you were, if you compare it to any other sort of general garden jobs, if you're working in a, in a big park or, or a big estate or something. But one of the most important things you have to think about is the plants are actually in the enclosure, is there, are any of these plants toxic to the animals? I mean, obviously, depending on what kind of animal it is, because some plants as well are toxic to one animal, but not another animal. So that was my steepest learning curve when I started here five years ago, learning your toxic and non-toxic plants very, very quickly. The other thing is as well is that when you're going in to, to do some maintenance in an enclosure, you're not looking for, you know, park standard that you want it to look like, botanical garden or anything like that. You're, you're trying to create an environment which looks very natural Sometimes that can be quite challenging because obviously if you've got an animal which is, comes from a sort of a very tropical looking natural habitat and you're trying to recreate that, you have to use a bit of artistic license uh, to use plants that maybe look similar in order to try and try and achieve that. So do do you find that you have a restricted
0: palette of plants to use in in the enclosures, or at least in certain enclosures?
1: I mean, obviously, it it very much depends as well, because if we are looking to do a sort of a more tropical, jungly kind of look, then you have kind of a a group of of plants that you would use for that. For instance, we did um, a new sloth enclosure, enclosure recently so we used a lot of big lead things and things like dixonias and bamboo and polonias and things to to make to give that sort of feel but prior to that we did the external landscaping for our uh, new giraffe enclosure and obviously for that you're looking for a more of a, a grassy arid kind of feel so the plants we would use for that will be completely different from what we would use in the sloths but we are very we are quite restricted with the plants that we can use because there's a lot of toxic plants out there.
0: If you're trialing a new plant, do you have to monitor it or do you just not take that risk?
1: With regards to toxicity, we do our all of our research Prior to, you know, on the planning stages. I mean, for instance, when we did the new sloth enclosure recently, because we don't often get the chance, we don't have a huge amount of indoor enclosures at Edinburgh Zoo. So it's not very often we get the chance to, you know, go crazy with uh, and and completely redo enclosure. So that was, that was great fun to do. But obviously very different kind of plants because you know you're talking sort of maybe about 60% humidity or even up to 80% humidity temperatures between 20 and 25 degrees so the kind of plants that you could put in there is very different from what we would have outside particularly you know we are in Scotland so a lot of the plants that went in are are plants that would perhaps be more be classes as house plants so these were plants that we maybe hadn't worked with quite so much before so there was quite a lot of research that had to go into the whole thing about toxicity beforehand. Biasa has, we have a website. Well, it's 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 called zoo, net, and it's a bit like Wikipedia in that it's by users for users and it lists probably the most common plants that is used in zoos and, and whatnot. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't incorporate maybe all of the kind of tropical indoor Kind of plants. It means that different zoos can put their information on there, as in we've used this for you know this particular species and this was the reaction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it also has a, a, a bit on there about toxicity, um, so that's always my first go-to place to check. But obviously there's various books on on toxic plants, and we can always check with our resident vets as well to make sure that um, everything is safe going in there. You do have to expect that there's going to be quite a lot of damage by the time you put the animals in. We always take pictures before, and then we take pictures of the finished product, and we take pictures of the animal kind of like just having moved into the enclosure, and that is probably the last time we're ever going to see that enclosure as pristine. Sometimes you have to overplant, sometimes you make sure that you've got spare plants that you could then go in and swap over. You just have to accept that there will be breakages, there will be damage done to this amazing planting that you've done if you try to plant anything into any of the primate enclosures it's it's hopeless we have literally planted things up stood back the keepers have let the animals out and they've gone straight in and just grabbed the plant and hooked them back out again and started tearing it apart and eating it and things but we know that now so we, we tend to put things in that we have masses of or you know we can replace and and whatnot because the other thing is as well the plants are not i mean the plants are obviously there to try and create um, a habitat for for these animals but a lot of plants are also there for enrichment for us i mean the the animals always have to take priority you know it's not the plants that take priority it's the animals that take priority you you do try to take that into consideration as well. So you have to look at what the animal's needing and then you, you you put that, you try to create that as much as you can. So Jess, I wondered whether you could,
0: I know you probably don't have an average day. I've, I think there are a few very few gardeners <laughs> no. anyway who have an average day, but maybe you could talk us through what you might, I don't know, what you might get up to it, during your, your day's work at Edinburgh Zoo.
1: It sort of depends a little bit on what time of the year it is. Our working days eight to four, Monday to Friday. The zoo opens at 10 o'clock. So we have got a window of two hours in the morning where we can use machinery. So all strimming, leaf blowing, etc. etc. Between eight and ten, we will be in an enclosure um, doing something. I mean, obviously at this time of the year we're still we're still doing leaves. In the spring and the summer, it would it would probably be strimming. The way we also tend to divide, because obviously we have to have some sort of structure as to how we go about maintaining 70 plus enclosures so that we know what we're doing and the keepers know when to expect us. So what we tend to do is we do it on, on sort of a rotational basis between the different sections. We might be on carnivores for a week or two. Uh, or our hoofstock department, or birds and primates. We have certain certain sort of jobs that we would do every single time we were on, say, a carnivore week. Then we know that we would the certain enclosures we would always go in, go into and have a look at, and it could be it could be pruning, or it could be, as so I said, trimming, or or weeding, or or whatever. So all the all the machinery jobs would be done uh, between eight and ten. But obviously, there are those jobs that we can still do when the public is in. After morning, our morning break, we may go on to see a pruning job or something like that. Another big kind of part of our responsibility is that we also cut browse for for the animals that that need browse. There's quite a lot of work involved in the whole browse situation because it's got to be cut. We then also deal with it at the other end so any spent browse gets picked up that then's got to be taken up to the top of the hill it then got to have it, it's then got to be chipped and then you end up with an end product that you can then reuse on to mulch a bed or something so there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes jobs going on as well occasionally there might be an emergency job coming up and you have to drop what you're doing because uh, obviously safety animal safety and, and safety of our visitors is is absolutely top priorities one of the things we do when we go into an enclosure is for, for, for some animals is check the jump zones. So you've got to make sure that there aren't any trees or large, thick shrubs close to the fence line that might then be used as an escape for the animal. Would perhaps have had strong winds and a branch has snapped down or something like that. And it's, you know, that, that can then be, be used for an animal to, to get out. It's very difficult to say um, a typical day because I don't really think that there is a typical day. We tend to do big projects when we have perhaps either we're building a brand new enclosure or we're doing a redevelopment of, a, of an enclosure because they're changing the animals in there. If we're in the middle of a project, then chances are we will be doing our two hours of strimming or blowing or whatever in the morning. And then we'll jump straight onto projects after that. So Jess,
0: you, you obviously love your job. It's it's coming through with how you're describing it. How did you how did you get to this role? How did you get to, as you said, quite a niche role in, as, as a as a gardener in a zoo?
1: I have a previous life in a completely different sector. So I was one of these people who changed careers. So I spent many, many, many years working in the private childcare sector. I was a manager of a child, private children's nursery, but I was always a keen gardener. And then decided to go and retrain. So I did that whilst working full time. And basically just did a sort of a slow kind of moving over. I mean, obviously you can't just go and change career and expect to to go in at the same level kind of thing. So, So I actually started out with as soon as I'd finished my, sat my exams and finished my qualifications and everything. I contacted a local wholesale plant nursery, which is near where I live. And basically explained that I was looking for... Some experience, would they be prepared to take me on as a volunteer for perhaps three to six months and just in return for that, they would be willing to give me a, a reference at the end of it because nobody's going to take you on, you know, with just a, you've got a piece of paper in your hand to say that, yes, I've got a qualification, you know, that's that's not going to be sufficient. So that worked out really, really well and quite quite quickly they offered to pay me. So I did that for quite a while and then I finally left uh, childcare and went and worked in a garden centre. Um, so it was there for two and a half years I think um, that was quite interesting I quite enjoy working with the public it was interesting and you have people coming in looking for suggestions and I've got this area here and you know could you help me and, and things like that So I, I find that was quite enjoyable I didn't quite enjoy working the weekends quite so much because in retail you have to expect to work weekends and then I left there and went to work for a garden maintenance company which did private gardens and again that was very interesting I learned an awful lot in that job then I saw an advert for gardener at Edinburgh Zoo and I thought well I shall apply and I came for the interview it was quite a comprehensive interview and there was also plant identification and etc cetera, etc cetera. and I just went in and I'm me and if there was things that I didn't know then I said so and I walked out and kind of thinking, oh, there's not hope in hell I'm going to get that job. You know, they're looking for somebody who's got lots more experience and knowledge and whatever. They got the phone call two, three days later and I was offered the job. So that, that's how I started, basically. And that was five years ago. It, it's one of these jobs where you're never, ever in a million years going to be bored because there is, there's just so much change and even though you're streaming every spring and summer you're leaf blowing in the you know so you are doing some tasks which you are doing you know which is obviously repetitive or you're doing them every year sort of thing but it's it's still all different and because we get the opportunity to do quite a lot of landscaping jobs of going in and, and doing brand new enclosures and we are given quite a free hand once we've got our brief and our budget to sort of use your imagination and That that's my absolute favourite part of the the job when you do that and then you you get to step back and you see how the animals are using the enclosure that you have designed for them so it's it's just so different the obviously you have the moments of I was mentioning earlier on uh, obviously we deal with the the spent browse um so it's simple things like you go and pick up all the the leftover um, bits of branching and whatever that for instance the rhinos have eaten and they are so nosy and they will come up to you and stick their nose through up towards the gate and you know if the keepers are there you can give them a wee clap and you know so I mean what other jobs do you get to you know to clap a clap a rhino or you know I've herded flamingos and fed the lion cubs and stroked a hairy armadillo and you know held a, a lorikeet chick so it's, it's all those kind of moments that even when it's days when, because, I mean, obviously everybody who works outdoors will have days when it's absolutely chucking down with rain and it's cold and you're wet and miserable and things like that. But when you have, you know, days, days like that, or when the sun's shining, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just magic.
0: Well, you know, you said before about when you the, the primates get, release back in when you've done a planting you see them ripping them yeah. up does that bring back memories of, of when you worked in child
1: care some- <laughs> oh absolutely oh definitely I mean it's it's one of these things I mean yeah they, I mean they, they, they don't answer back in in the same way but yeah I mean definitely definitely and I mean you're, you're caring in a different way you know you're still you're still providing food and you're still clearing up after them
0: this was a question I was going to ask you earlier, but I thought no, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that. But you just just mentioned it. You stand back and see how the animals react to how you've. Replanted an enclosure or re landscaped it. Mm-hmm. So, is that something you then make notes on to see how they, they, they're they interacting with it so that you can then, when it comes to maintenance or replanting in the future, you can make tweaks or, or redo it exactly as you did before?
1: Yeah, I mean, we might not take actual paper notes, so to speak, but we would definitely take mental notes. It's very much about learning as you go because, yeah, you try things and then you realize that that's not going to work. It might then be that we'll go back in again and move something or it might be that the next time we we'll do a similar enclosure then you know we'll do something different it, it is a continuous learning curve in, in that sort of sense
0: i'm i'm going to ask you two two questions at the same time here okay. um, they're slightly different would you have done anything differently to get to where you are now and what does the future hold for you Jess
1: i wouldn't have done anything different to be perfectly honest i think i mean i, I did enjoy my previous career and it got to the point, As sort of, I'd been there, done, I got the t-shirt and whatever, and it was time, time for something different. And as I said, I mean, I've, ha- I've been very fortunate is that in all the jobs that I've had in horticulture, I've had really, really good mentors. And I mean, even now, you know, every day is a learning curve kind of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy where I am and I can see myself still being here for the foreseeable. You know, if you start feeling bored, that might be when you start getting at your feet and start thinking about, you know, finding another job or something. But uh, I can't see that happening for the, for the next 10 years or so. And there's always going to be new enclosures, new animals, new things. What advice would you have for anybody who wants to, to get into zoo horticulture? I think one of the things that they do have to remember, the first thing that you would have to remember coming into this job is that the animals do come first which means that you might want to do a job. I mean, there's plenty There's plenty of times when we go to do, to do a job and we have to stand and wait for the keepers to come and let us in somewhere. And we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. And then it's sort of like, no, sorry, they're not coming in. It's like, OK, so that's not going to happen. You do have to change your kind of mindset a little bit coming into this sort of job. And sometimes you have to do things at the wrong time of the year. If there's a jump zone issue, you might have to prune a tree when it's not the right time to prune a tree. Find what you're passionate about and, and kind of concentrate on that. So,
0: Jess, I've, I've not visited Edinburgh Zoo, I'll, I'll admit it. Mm-hmm. But if I were to, is there a place that you would you would send me as someone, you know, as, as, as a gardener myself? Is there a place where you'd say go and see that enclosure? I'm really proud of it.
1: There's there's quite a few of them. I mean, it, it, for different reasons. I mean, the sloth enclosure, because that's the, the most recent one we've done, and it's still re- looking reasonably good. <laughs> but we have other enclosures as well, which as a as a gardener, you might sort of think, I mean, for example, our otter's enclosure, if you were to look at that, you sort of think, well, there's not an awful lot here, but it's it's a really natural looking uh, enclosure. It's got a stream running, there's a pond at the top and there's a stream running, running, running water down to a pool at the bottom. So from a horticultural point of view, you might sort of look at that and it's like, well, there's not enough loss lot there, but from an enclosure point of view, it's an amazing enclosure because it looks so natural. So it depends on where your interest lies, if it's the specific tropical plants that's in the sloths or whether it be, you know, finding a, an enclosure which looks looks really natural
0: thank you for sharing those Jess I have a question I'm asking everybody well it's three questions in one I'm doing these multiple questions to you I apologize it's okay but I'm asking everybody about their favorite plants the tool that they can't garden without and a go-to book or a book that's inspired them in horticulture so I wondered whether you could share your plant tool and book
1: I think when it comes to plants (laughs) I think most gardeners probably would say well You can't have a favourite plant. It's like having a favourite child, you know. But it's probably sort of a group of plants. I personally like the sort of the jungly, tropical kind of like looking plants. My own garden is sort of jungle meets cottage garden. So that you have lots of big-leaved things and tropical looking things. But there's also lots of colour. I mean, I do love, I do really, really like uh, bamboo, I have to say. Which is just as well, because obviously we have the only giant pandas in the UK. Uh, and we have to cut bamboo for them every single day. So it's just as well that, uh, that I do like uh, bamboo. So tools, I mean, it would probably have to be my Felco secateurs because I use them every single day. My silky pruning saw. When it comes to books, when I first started out in horticulture, I used a lot of the Dr Hesseon books a lot. I find that they're quite easy to use because they're topic specific. So if you were looking for something rather than I think when you start out, it can be quite daunting. You've got this massive, big, big book. And it's like, how can you possibly take in all that, all that information? I mean, obviously, nowadays I use the, a lot of the RHS encyclopedia of plants. If you're interested in bamboo, there's some really good books on bamboo. Bamboo for Gardens by Ted Jordan Meredith and uh, Hardy Bamboo, Team in the Dragon by Paul Whitaker. Uh, they're really, really good bamboos if you're if you're interested in that. But also as I mentioned before, I mean obviously as technology moves on, we maybe don't use books quite so much and we maybe use the internet more. So for me, it would then have to be zooplants.net That's my go-to.
0: I think it's great that the the zooplants.net exist because sharing expertise across across the zoos uh, it's what a fantastic resource
1: it is it is it's amazing
0: I completely forgot about the pandas (laughs) wow I mean that in itself is a reason to get up and go into work every day surely
1: absolutely yes yes
0: so do you get to go into the enclosure with them as well yes oh
1: yes we do I mean obviously not uh, because they are a category one animal so they can't be inside the enclosure with us being in there but we have to particularly when we're going to the, the male tanda, Yang Guan, when we're going to his enclosure, we actually have to go through the house in order to get to the outside enclosure. And he's often sitting propped up against the wall munching bamboo, just kind of like watching us as we go past. So yeah, we do get we do get very, very close to to the animals.
0: Thank you so much for for talking with me, Jess. You're um, very welcome. I've I've had a proper insight into into what you do um, yeah. at, at Edinburgh Zoo, So thank mm-hmm. you.